we're going to be starting tonight uh, with the third church uh, in Revelation called Pergamos. Uh, again, all seven churches are in uh, in the, on the uh, Asia Minor uh, continent. And um, the churches are chosen, we think, by the Lord when he gave John the vision uh, to, for us to look at our own churches and our own lives, but particularly our churches, um, as uh, they have the same kind of problems in different ways than those of old. Uh, when you think about God's people, we find that it is a rare thing that you have uh, a church in these various places, you know, thinking about in Corinth or in, uh, or in Ephesus or uh, was it the first uh, Christians they first called church? Antioch. Yeah, in Antioch, which was a very large church. They all had problems and the Jews before them. Um, and so usually when we go through the scripture, we find that God's people are, are not um, holy, in fact, less than that, uh, are very lax in uh, obedience and lax in faith. And there's a difference in that, um, for example, at Ephesus, which is the first church, uh, there was uh, a lot of obedience and as you looked at that church, uh, there was nothing that you could point at that uh, would diminish them. However, what we found, according to the word, is that the people's hearts had gone away from God. What do we call that? We call that religion. It's so easy, and I absolutely believe that the majority of Christendom today uh, has more or less religion. But there are very few people who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Yeah. 
as I said, you think about what the scripture says about Christ loving the church and about husbands loving their wives. I would ask you wives and perspective wives that if you had your choice between a husband that always acted right and did the right thing or your husband could be one of those men that just adored his wife uh, and always made her feel like she was first as far as his earthly companions. Um, the love in marriages grows cold. Uh, the love of Christians for God also can grow cold. Even in the case of Ephesus, to the point where even though things are being right, done rightly, that the light of that body is not making people uh, want to be Christians. There's an old song we used to sing, some of you know it. Uh, they'll know we are Christians by our love. And uh, it wouldn't hurt any of us regularly to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it's described all that that exists in relationship between two people uh, when they truly love one another. Otherwise, Paul said, we are just a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Uh, my friends, I, I lately for the last several years have become so much aware that the church is without the love of God. You should understand that without loving God, even though we may make a mistake once or twice or big mistakes along the way, and we are forgiven that the Lord remains faithful and as we remain faithful to love him, and he knows exactly every thought and intent of her heart, we should remind ourselves that there is 
no other one that we have joined with for eternity. And the love that comes out of the bond between the loving Savior and the loving disciple is something to behold. Uh, we're a small body. May we throughout the day, as I do, and I have a lot of bad days, I don't feel well, uh, but that does not, love isn't a feel good thing. Love is something uh, tangible that is only found in the life of God. You cannot love another person with that love that we are speaking of, except you be born again and the spirit of God lives in you and that spirit is Christ in you loving his church. Not just for a minute, not just on the weekends, but always so that he, as our wives ought to be, uh, a matter of great interest that we ought to take great interest in the other members of the body regarding whether uh, we are seeing the love of Christ or we are just seeing uh, the uh, fruit of flesh uh, doing what every natural man can do. Uh, I went to work out yesterday. I go three times a week now. And uh, it, it uh, made me sad to no end that the song and video of Tina Turner singing about what does love have to do with it? And that was only an, an earthly, a sensual uh, emotion. Love is not emotion, my friend. Love is caring for others even more than we care for ourselves. And so think about it. I want you to, I keep bringing it up because I want you to think about it. Because when a time comes for God to call his people, there isn't gonna be anybody in heaven who doesn't have a powerful love for the Lord Jesus Christ. As far as, as I see it, without such a love, we wouldn't even enjoy heaven because it is the love that exists 
and comes and flows from the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that will be that which motivates us. And when we come back to earth with Christ, we will be coming with the one who is faithful and true, and we will love him with all of our hearts. Uh, may God bless that word to you. Tonight, we are studying the third church that is mentioned in Revelation, starting in chapter 2, verse 3. And uh, Schofield has a note. He says, the time of the Pergamos church, that's the name of the church. And before I forget, let me tell you that when uh, the Babylonian uh, mystery religion, Peter Graft, uh, if you would, in Babylon and died off uh, for whatever reasons. Several of the priests got on a boat and they went to Pergamos. And so the taking up of, of uh, Basically, the love of Antichrist and the, the, the spirit of Antichrist and all the idolatry that went with it went to Pergamos. Pergamos uh, speaks to us. It started uh, in roughly that period. 316 AD, so 360 years after Christ. <laughs> now, one of the seven churches uh, that one that they were all, I think, founded by Paul, one of the seven churches uh, in Asia Minor uh, was called Pergamos. Uh, the the place uh, where Satan's seat is. Uh, what you ought to know about Pergamos is that remember these are real churches, but they are also indicative of churches through the ages. So this age is in uh, 316 until the end of the time of the Gentiles, when Christ comes back, the spirit of Pergamos uh, exists in the church or in Christendom. Um, I started to say the church of Jesus Christ, but Christ has nothing to do with it. It is the church of Satan. Uh, and the Lord speaks and says to the angel of the church in Pergamos, 
write these things, saith he, which has the, the sharp word with two edges. Interesting, it's not, oh, I'm sorry, sharp sword. I had uh, oh, something written that uh, scratched out the S in sword. Uh, uh, you recall that this is how Christ is described when uh, he defeats the armies of the Antichrist at the end of the tribulation period. Uh, it's probably symbolic language. Uh, it probably has to do with what the, the Christ declares regarding the defeat of the enemy uh, of Antichrist at the last part of the tribulation period, that time when the Antichrist will have uh, taken over the whole world, he has caused much havoc, much death, and uh, Christ uh, comes to defeat him when he has already uh, conquered about half of Jerusalem. So and the Antichrist at the Battle of Armageddon is, we should know that that is against Israel. And he has almost completed his work there. And only half of Jerusalem has survived. But then the Lord speaks. And the Lord has tens of thousands of his saints with him. And we will be speaking the same words. And the Antichrist will be defeated. Uh, in that place, and then the other things that Revelation tells us about will come about shortly leading into the thousand-year reign of Christ. So what I'm talking about is uh, the end of the seven-year period, and particularly the period of great tribulation, uh, which occurs at the three and a half year mark. And we're gonna talk about that a little later on. Uh, and so Christ, as he said to every church, now he doesn't say uh, initially, I know thy faith, he says, I know thy works. And you should understand that we are acceptable to Jesus Christ when we are born again. 
because we trust in the work that he did on the cross. We trust in the fact that he bled and uh, went through excruciating time uh, and died on that cross. He was dead. And we were in Christ. He knew about every one of you uh, ahead of time. And therefore, as he died, uh, you died. As he was dead, you were dead. We were planted with him in the likeness, therefore, when he raised from the dead. Those are words uh, that you find uh, in the book of Romans. Uh, yeah, chapter six. And so it's important that you recognize that you are dead. I'll say again. If you're dead, it changes what you do. It means you don't love this world. I, I think Christians, particularly in our country, and this may not last much longer, uh, have the ability uh, for every kind of amusement. In my opinion, and I've become a stodgy old preacher now that I am nearly 77 years old, but for a number of years, I have found that there, there really isn't anything that I desire out of this world. I used to be involved in my hobbies. I used to be involved in those things which I said were fun. But now my thoughts are on my relationship with my loving, sweet, wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, but uh, Satan was not going to be defeated as far as keeping his church going. And so he moved it from Babylon to Pergamos. Uh, it was an exquisite city. Uh, it had many idols there, uh, including, and I wonder if this isn't, uh, at least uh, somewhat in mind, talking about where Satan's seat is, the highest and most powerful of the Greek gods was Zeus. And there was a statue of Zeus there. And in their temples, they uh, practiced every kind of debauchery, uh, and uh, vile 
a thing that you can imagine, including temple prostitution, um, the eating of meat sacrificed to idols, and the falling down before each idol and paying obedience uh, and obedience, uh, hoping that that God that was represented by that idol would bless them. And so there was no thought of God the, the, the living God, the only living God. There was no thought of Jesus Christ in Pergamos was mostly Satan's work. Uh, when Christ says, I know thy works, he is talking about it as a reflection of what is in you. He is talking about works as they come from faith. Remember, James was absolutely right when he said, faith without works is dead. And he said, you show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. We are saved by faith, but accompanying faith is always those works and those uh those actions that we take to glorify God, that, that is in our thoughts and in our actions, those are the works. And he says to this church, because there is a church in Pergamos and there are Christians there. And he says, I know they works and where Thou dwellest, I know you're there, even where Satan's seat is. I wonder uh, how many churches uh, that we have even in our nation that claim Christ, but Satan is really the one who's worshiped. Uh, Maybe not by name, but because of the doctrines that are held. The, the, the failure of teaching the doctrine of justification. The failure of the doctrine of sanctification where people are failing, where they are looking for God in their own hearts, where the, the word says clearly that no man can call God down from above, uh, where God 
is the one who must be met when he calls out and we say, Lord, I will worship you. I will lay my life on that altar and I am yours. And Lord, I no longer have the life that I used to have. That life that you can have and that compromise that you can make with the world is not to be uh, lauded by the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, oh, he understands. My friend, I tell you, he does not understand. He says, I know, I know the thoughts and intents of your heart. And we have some idea that we should give a little part of our time and thoughts to the Lord that is often thought, uh, or that we should develop a religion that sounds something like Christianity, but forgets all about the blood, forgets about the death of Christ, forgets about the death uh, with Christ of believers, whereby uh, um, Philippians tells us, uh, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Is that you? You have been crucified. If you've been crucified, you're dead. But another life takes over. And before that other life takes over, that first life has to become dead. And maybe it's progressive, but uh, for all that you know at the moment, he is dead. And to the degree that he is dead, Christ then can live. Otherwise, he can not live and he will not claim you, but say, depart from me, you accursed. I never knew you. And so they dwelt where Satan's seat is. Thou holdest fast. Now he says something good to the church at Pergamos. Yes, that's where you are, but you hold fast to what? My name. And has not denied my faith. Notice it's not your faith he talks about. He talks about his faith. Every dime's worth of faith that you have comes from the Lord because it is the life of Christ in you. Therefore, it is the Lord. Therefore, 
Paul said, the, uh, it's no longer I, but Christ that lives in me. And the life, and now, are you all still in this world? Yes, and me too, having flesh. But he says, the life that I live in this flesh, I live through the faith that comes from Jesus Christ. It starts with Christ, with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And it finishes and on to the middle with his life in you to the very end. And then in eternity, when you give up that body, which you cannot take with you, neither can you take the enjoyments and the amusements. They have to be gone. Tell me 10 billion years in the future when you will glory over the amusements that you uh, loved in this world. I tell you, there won't <clears throat> be even a grain of enjoyment in thinking about things that you used to enjoy. No, you have not denied my faith. Even in those days when Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Now, thinking about Pergamos, you should understand that uh, the time and history that it represents, as I said, was from the early 300 ADs and some form of Pergamos exists today in almost every church, but in most churches, uh, Satan is dwelling there. Uh, and in those days, and again, it is happening today and may happen to you while you are still alive that there will be many that will be martyred for Jesus Christ. So in those days when Antipas, it is, it, tradition has that Antipas uh, was told by his persecutors that the whole world was against him. And he said, then it's Antipas and God against the world. Notice it doesn't say only that he was a martyr, but he was a faithful martyr. 
he was slain there in Pergamos. The time of Pergamos, when we think about history, began after 10 terrible persecutions from the time of the earliest church until the time of Constantine in 316 AD. For Constantine, in my opinion, decided if you can't stamp out the church, then join it, pervert it, and it will no longer be a martyr, or pardon me, no longer be a problem. So uh, Antipas ended up uh, making Christianity the state religion, and he was known as the first Pontifus Maximus, which is the name that is given to the Pope. Uh, did I say Constantine? Constantine. Yeah, Constantine. I doubt. He claimed to be a Christian, but he was head of every pagan church. Uh, in uh, in the Byzantine Empire, where he had his seat, uh, and out of him, and out of that church, grew Catholicism until uh, by six hundred A.D. Catholicism, after the picture of um, Constantine, was over the whole world. And uh, were persecuting Christians, were uh, developing the doctrinal lies concerning uh, the church as the means of salvation concerning uh, the blood and the body of Christ uh, being the very real elements and the saving right of uh, of communion uh, it was he out of that came the idea of purgatory came the idea of indulgences and many other other doctrines that still go on Mariolatry the worship of Mary my friends you will hear it said that there are many Catholics who are saved. I am sorry. I feel there are very, very few. 
I don't know how you can be saved and still believe in those doctrines that are antichrist. But I am. And so in verse 14, chapter 2, uh, in the vision, John hears the words of Christ. Remember, this is Christ speaking. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Now, he wasn't talking to the church of Satan. He was talking to those who were part of what they called the Christian church, the church of Christ in Pergamos. They held the doctrine, some of them in the church of Balaam, who taught Balak, remember there was Balaam, who was a prophet, and there was Balak, who was the king of Moab, during the early days of Israel, before they came into the promised land. So, oh, about uh, probably 950 uh, BC, uh, and Balak, the prophet, continued uh, to tell, uh, pardon me, I had it backwards. Balaam, the prophet, uh, who was uh, sought upon by Balak, the king of Moab, to curse Israel, uh, continued to tell Balak that he could not do it but that he could only uh, curse or bless those whom the Lord put on his heart. In other words, by the Spirit. But his heart was still not right within him because Bailey offered him money and prestige and finally, he told him, I cannot curse the children of Israel, but I will tell you how to defeat them. So what you do is you get the, the children of Israel to mix with the children of the heathen, to marry the Moabite wives, and Therefore, they will bring that evil into their homes, and it won't be but a generation or two. And they will be as if I had cursed them. And that was the doctrine of Balaam. I don't think we'll be seeing him in eternity. He uh, taught them to eat things, sacrificed to idols, and to commit fornication. Do you know that the children of Israel in the book of Numbers, uh, which would, uh, uh, no, no, 
not the book of Numbers. In the book of Nehemiah, uh, say 600 years before Christ, they, in, when they were rebuilding the temple, many of the children of Israel, and there were scant many of them, there were not many of them, in Israel at the time, because they had all been, you remember, released from Assyria and Babylon, and many of them never came back. But of the ones who did, you know what they did? They couldn't find enough wives, so they married the wives of the heathen. And the prophet came to Nehemiah and said, they cannot do this. Don't you know this will cause debauchery to uh, immediately take over again. Uh, and again, Israel will displease God. And so the leaders of Israel at that time got together, singled out all of the men who had married heathen women, and they had them divorced and sent them back to wherever they came from. Does that sound to you? Don't you think that some of those men uh, were very affectionate to their wives, even though they were heathen. Every one of them sent them away. Do you think following Christ does not involve sacrifice? They did. And for a hundred years or so, Israel uh, shine to some degree before the Lord. And then in verse 15, we find uh, the Lord saying, uh, chapter 2 of Revelation, the Lord says, So thou also has them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. It was in the church, not in Satan's church. It was in the church of Jesus Christ. And as I told you, but I tell you again, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans uh, had to do with uh, the a cleric or the uh, uh, the pastors, the clerics of Israel, the priests having power over the people and ruling over them in a way that is not consistent with how our churches ought to run today. You say, well, how was that? This may shock some of you, but it is not by democracy. 
And I will tell you, this may shock you. The millennial kingdom will not be a democracy. It will be a theocracy, the rule of God. And each of us also inwardly should be involved in a theocracy where God is sitting on the throne of our lives. And so the Nicolaitans were the, uh, were the ruling priestly class and they lorded it over the people and the people just took their orders. That should not be in any church today. You say, well, if it's not that, it's not democracy, how should it be? And I will tell you, and it has again to do with the hearts of the people. When Jesus Christ is on the throne of the hearts of many people, it will be as in the first two chapters of the book of Acts that they all met together in one accord. And there was one spirit. And that spirit was telling them all the same thing before, because God speaks to us so that we all come into agreement. Have you ever been in a congregation where the people just come together as one because they have the same heart. If you don't, then you don't have a church. You have either some sort of democracy or some sort of dictatorship. And such were the Nicolaitans and the Lord said, I hate what they do. And so the Lord said, repent for the things you think. Well, he had a few things that they were doing wrong. While they were counseled by the Lord to repent. When I look at my life, it isn't that I say I'm three quarters for Jesus Christ, but I look for those things that are not of him and repent and, and call on the name of the Lord and he changes our lives. And therefore for anything that is displeasing in your life to the Lord, you get the admonition to repent, which means to change your mind and agree with God and call upon him, for he is the only one mm. who can bring this to you. Call upon him, 
to change your life until you are not aware of one thing in your life that is just freezing. Now, am I saying that you will be immediately perfect? No, but I have taught you that those who are perfect can have a perfect heart towards God, continually look for those things that are not of him and us, and we turn from them gladly, and we find grace in his sight, and the work that we ask him to do is done by the life of Christ and the our, I say, and are the work of the Holy Spirit, the whole work of the Trinity is involved. So repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly. And this is this is hard words, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Why are so many churches becoming apostate? Why is it that for many years I looked for a church over several years that I could attend and in this area and know that there I would be getting the word of God and I would see the love of God in the people there. And I had seen that uh, at least one time before. I looked and I looked. The Lord had come. He had taken their lampstand away already. And he had fought against them with the sword of his mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear. He says that to every church. Can you hear? I know you have heard me over and over say many things that I know I am not making it up. I am not trying to be some holy Joe or figure out my own religion, but according to the word of God, I've spoken to you. And if you have an ear, then listen up and do the first works. Love God. Turn from that which just pleases him according to his power. In other words, he will do the work, but you must have the heart for him. He that hath an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What does he say in this case? I will give him to eat of the hidden manna. 
my friends, I talked to you briefly about uh, being unable to be comfortable in this world and the amusements of this world, but more and more have longed for heaven and longed for Christ uh, and found nothing but dissatisfaction. And the only reason that I have found every time to stay and to, to minister for my Lord and to allow him to continue to change me is not the world, but it is the fact that I love him and he draws me to himself and he tells me that the time will come and I am waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to take me from this place and I will look upon his lovely face and I will never feel the uh, emptiness of this earth where Satan is on the throne and where the church is apostatizing and giving themselves over to their own evil hearts. No, I am looking for that hidden manna, that which men do not understand. And a white throne, uh, pardon me, a white stone. Uh, I'm not sure what the white stone is, but let me muse for a moment that it is, you've heard of the white stones and the black stones and, and uh, choosing by the lot. And if you get the white stone, you have won. I believe the white stone is the stone that the Lord will give us those to have overcome and he will make known to everybody, not only a stone that is white, but in the stone, which a new name was written, oh my, what can it be? Thou, uh, no man knowest what it is, saving he that receives it. It is intimate. It is between me and you and the Lord. And it is a source and a reminder of his ownership and his eternal watch care for you 
as he works out the rest of his plan in this earth. Hidden manna. This is manna that men who are natural know nothing about. But it is that which makes me cry. Tears of joy. For I know my Lord is faithful to do all that he promised and has been faithful to bring me to you to this point. Be thankful for the fact that God chose you, that God works in you, that God has cleansed and will cleanse you as you walk in his light, that God is approving of you because you speak to his goodness and his faithfulness. My friends, our, our lives are to, to be all about God. He owns us. He died for us. And everything, all I owe, as the old song goes, all I owe to him. There is, there will be no hint. There will be an eternity because of that hidden man absolute satisfaction. And I can say to him there, Lord, you knew me. And now I see perfectly. Now that the scales have been taken away. Now that I see as I have never seen before that that which you have given me to feed on mm. is absolutely satisfying yes. in every way. Mm. I'm sorry, but it was Israel that complained about the manna that God gave them because they could not profit from it because their hearts were contrary to God. But the hidden manna will be for all of us whose hearts are absolutely tuned perfectly to his in eternity world and heaven and creation without end for me and for you absolute satisfaction
ואז יש 